0: Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for what you have done. Your word tells us so clearly that you love the world so much you gave your only begotten son that we might believe in him and that we might have eternal life. And what a joy it is to know you. I thank you, Lord, not only for the salvation you give to us, but the opportunity we get to go over it again and again and again, and even t- every time the story gets sweeter to us. This is an important uh, conference for us here. We're so glad that Dr. Moyers here and his wife is with him. We're so glad that he is bringing his expertise on this topic of evangelism to us tonight. I pray that you challenge us thoroughly with this. Help us to uh, get an appetite for sharing the gospel, for knowing that we can share it too. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would do your great work in our midst. Thank you for him being with us tonight. Pray that you speak through him to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: It's an honor and delight to be back here today with all of you. I, Hillsdale always has a warm place in my heart. I was here in 1986, then I was back in 19, I was here in 1978, then I was back in 1986, then back in 2009, and then I'm here today. Now, if you take an average that out, that means it takes the church an average of 14 years to recover from my messages. And so don't say I did not warn you, but it's such a delight to be here, and every time I've been here you have a way of making you feel so warm and welcome. I was speaking one time in Brazil, and I stayed with a family who did not know any English. But their 13-year-old girl was just learning it, and therefore she acted as my interpreter. And she wanted to say to me, make yourself a home. But because she had just learned the English language, she chose the wrong words. And she looked at me and she said, go stay by yourself. <laughs> so it's good to meet those who not only know how to make you feel at home, but also know how to say it. It's such a light to be here with you. Some of you know my life story, but some of you don't. I was born with an inherited speech defect, inherited from my dad's side of the family. That was so severe, I could not pronounce the word T-H-E, duh. And therefore, a medical doctor told me to give up all hope of ever being a public speaker. One day, seeing high school, I had my hands so no one I could see I was crying because I had just been ridiculed What seemed like the 500th time I told God, if you will help me with this inherited defect, I will always use my voice for you. And starting that week, I started out of a control I had never had in my entire life. And that was the year's speech therapy brought me to where I am today. But when you come from that kind of background, one way it impacts you is you never take one opportunity for granted. It does not matter in an audience of 70,000. 70, because if it were not for the grace of God, I could not speak to anyone, anywhere. It's such a delight to have this time with you. But tonight, I would like to begin our you can share conference by talking about how to love the people you'd rather not love. How to love the people you'd rather not love. And if you have your Bible, may I ask you to take them and turn me to Colossians three verses twelve to fourteen. I want you to leave not only knowing what I said, but knowing where God said it first. Or if you open that yellow manual that you got, and thank for putting it all together, Pastor. The passage is there in front of you, as well as the notes. And um, Kevin in the back will be operating my PowerPoint for me. And you can follow there with the notes in the conference manual. And also, you can open your Bible to Colossians 3 and verses 12 to 14. But again, I want you to leave not just knowing what I said, but knowing where in the Bible God said it first. So that you know that it's all him talking, and I'm simply speaking on his behalf. How love the people you'd rather not love. Follow me as I read Colossians 3, beginning of verse 12. Therefore, as elect God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, longsuffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put in love, which is a bond of Perfectness. Two American men were one time riding on a train in Britain. And English trains at that time were built in such a way, up to six people can sit in a given compartment. And across from these two Americans sat a very distinguished looking gentleman. The one American said to the other American, no, I will bet you any money that man is the Archbishop of Canterbury. And the other American said, I don't think he is. And I will accept your wager." And so the first American went up to this distinguished looking gentleman and said to him, Sir, can you tell me, are you the Archbishop of Canterbury? And the man looked at him and said, What blanket bank business is of yours? What blanket bank difference should it make to you? And so the first American returned to the other American and he said, The best off. There is no way of telling. I regret to say this so many times. That's the only thing people know to say about you and me. When you watch us on the streets, in the sidewalks in their homes, and they want to wager on whether or not we are Christians. The only thing many times they know to say is, "The best off. There is no way of telling. But what the Bible makes so clear is that if I am walking in the footsteps of Christ, it should be so evident in my life, they will have no trouble finding enough evidence to convict me. But the thing I find interesting is that nowhere in the Bible do I find one verse that says, and by this shall men know that you are my disciples. Because you go to the Hillsdale Church. Nowhere do I find a sentence says, and by this shall man you are my disciples, because you ask the blessing on your meal. No word in the Bible do I ever find a statement that says, By this shall man know that you're my disciples, cause you also refer to God in your conversation. Instead, this is the sentence I find in the Bible in John thirteen thirty five, by this shall man know that you're my disciples, because you love one another. In other words, the love that comes from our life has some actual language that comes from our lips. But the thing I also find interesting, when you look in the Bible, love is not an itchy feeling that you can't stretch, as a popular song one time described it. Instead, God has some concrete ideas concerning what it means to love one another. In fact, his ideas are so concrete that he describes love not in terms of what it is but in terms of what it does. For that reason, I want us to have the most unusual night you have never had here at your church because we're not going to stay here at the church. Instead, I want you to go with me to a new store that just opened its doors in Oklahoma City called God's Giant Clothing Store where God has the six garments he says every Christian ought to wear on display. Now I realize as soon as I mentioned the shopping trip, I have the immediate attention of every single woman here tonight, because you're just like my wife, you feel like shopping is one of your spiritual gifts, and you cover your opportunity to develop it, (laughs) but you guys will also enjoy this shopping trip, because you need neither cash nor credit card, because everything you have a chance to take home with tonight is absolutely free, no money down, nothing to pay later, satisfaction guaranteed. And as we go through God's giant clothing store and we examine the six garments, he says, every Christian ought to wear. I want you to ask the question, am I presently wearing this garment? Or is this one I have to pick up, take home, and begin wearing tonight? And when I say, are you wearing this garment? Because of the purpose of our conference, I'm not talking about those who do know the Lord, but for those who don't. Because when I open the Bible... I find, first of all, there are three people God commands me to love. My one is my, neighbor in Christ, my brother in Christ whom I probably know. The second is my neighbor whom I might not know. And the third is my enemy whom I'd rather not know. And the other thing about these garments is every single one of them are used in reference to Christ's relationship to non-Christians. And therefore, if you wear these garments, you love the lost so the same way he loves them and you love them the way Christ did. Now, the first garment we come to in God's giant closing storm is the garment of tender mercies. Because you know the says were verse 12, Therefore, is it is God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. And that word tender mercy means to be filled with pity towards others. To be filled with pity towards others. So many times in our Christian lives, we become so occupied with ourselves, we don't have time to occupy the lives of those who have some deep-seated personal problems. One time there was a funeral procession going down the street when the back seat of one car sat a woman holding a baby, crying to no end. When the first seat was a big, brody man, and he knew the woman was not the baby's mother, but did not know whose it was. And so in a very insensitive way he said, why don't you give that baby to his mother? woman looked at him and said, Sir, there's no way we can do that. His mother's in that coffin in the car ahead of us. He said, then In that case, Why don't you give the baby to me and you get some rest? The point is, sometimes we become so occupied with ourselves, we don't kind occupy with the lives of those who have some deep-seated personal problems. And the whole problem with the Sunday field of service And a week filled with that kind of selfishness is that it makes a lousy disciple, but a beautiful Pharisee. Instead, the Bible says we we are going to walk in the footsteps of Christ. We ought to wear the garment of tender mercies and be filled with pity towards others. And for that reason, that's one of the most priceless garments we ought to wear. So many times we find in our own walk with Christ, we get so upset by what they do, and where they're living, etc. But we don't have time to get involved in their life because we're too involved in our life. And for that reason, the Bible says we are filled with pity. It says in Matthew chapter 9, when Christ looked to the martyrs, he was filled with pity because they did not have a shepherd. And it means he had compassion towards them. And for that reason, he was filled with pity. And in the same way, we are filled with pity towards others. And sometimes I hear believers say, but I don't enjoy being around unsaved. And my answer is, who does? They can be inconsiderate. They can be selfish. They can be stubborn. Just like Christians. (laughs) But God never said you enjoy them. God always said you pity them. There's not one verse in that Bible that says, do you enjoy non-Christians? Instead it says, do you pity them? And eight times New Testament says about Christ, he was filled with pity towards non-Christians. And the Bible says you ought to be filled with tender mercies and be filled with pity towards others. One time D.L. Moody made the statement, if it not for the grace of God, there be I. And we all say towards every non-Christian, if it not be for the grace of God, there be I, and be filled with pity. Back before the U.S. forces knocked out Osama bin Laden, I saw a picture of him. And songs so had the picture the word trash. Now I can understand why people felt that way. To think of what he did on September eleventh is mind boggling. At the same time, I'm faced with two things. If it were not for the grace of God, I could be another Osama bin Laden. And the second thing is, although Osama bin Laden did not love Jesus, Jesus loved Osama bin Laden and we are to wear the garment of tender mercies and be filled with pity towards others. I absolutely hate homosexuality, and I think it's one of the grossest things on earth. But at the same time, I can tell you, I love the homosexual, because I believe God loves the homosexual. I detest abortion. I think at the moment of conception, that child is alive as it is when it comes out of the womb. And that's a personal issue with me, because some of you know our son is adopted and I hate abortion. At the same time I love abortionists because I believe Christ loves abortionists and we all love them too, and we ought to be filled with pity towards others. And the Bible is saying if we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus, then we are the word of garment of tender mercies and be filled with pity towards others. But then there's a second garment we come to in God's giant clothing store. And that is the garment of kindness. Because if you notice, it says there in verse 12, put on as they elect the God after ten mercies, it then says kindness. And that word kindness means to have a good, generous, and giving spirit towards others. To have a good, generous, and giving spirit towards others. In other words, in Titus 3, verses 3 and 4 says, we were deceived, living in malice, hateful and hating one another. But then it says, by after the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. Everything about you and I was so distasteful to God. He had a good, generous and giving spirit. And he allowed his son to take our place on a cross so through personal trust in him, we could enjoy the free gift of eternal life. And that same spirit he exemplified towards us is what we are exemplified towards others. And we are specialized in giving, not in getting. One time as a young mother saw her one son crying, heard her one son crying no end. And she went outside and there he stood, just bawling his head off. And she looked at his brother who was standing right next to him. She said, what's your brother crying about? He said, I don't know. I'm just eating my dessert and I won't give him any. And she said, was his own finished? He said, yes. And he cried when I ate that, too. <laughs> now, the point is, we laugh, but so many times we're better being t- takers than being tender. But you know what concerns me? I think as soon as I mention the garment of kindness, every single one of us is thinking about how you treat your best friend. But you look in the Bible and tell me who it says Christ was kind for us. It mentions two kinds of people in Luke 6.35 the unthankful, and the evil. You see, the dynamic of the Christian life is not being kind towards the people that are kind towards you. It's being kind towards the people the opposite towards you. The guy for whom you've done so much, but he never says thank you. The relative who will say one thing to your face, another thing behind your back. Another person who's always asking a lot of you, but he'll never do a thing for you. The Bible says Christ was, unkind, Christ was kind towards the unthankful and the evil. He wants us to be the same and practice a good giving spirit. And what it means to be kind is practice a good generous and giving spirit. He said, be kind towards non-Christians. kind when you were non-Christian, I was kind towards you. And I had my son to die in your place. So he's going to enjoy the free gift of eternal life. And he wants us to be a carbon copy of himself. One time, there was a man walking out to his Cadillac in the parking lot, his new Lexus. And he saw a teenager just bending through the window, looking at it. it. bothered him. So he pulled the teenager aside and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm sorry. I just love cars. I admire cars. And I was just impressed with yours and just looking at it. And he told the man things about the car the man did not even know. And so the boy then said to the man, could I ask you, how much did it cost you? And the man said, it did not cost me a thing. My brother gave it to me. The boy looked at the man and said, I wish. The man said, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, I wish I had a brother like that. The boy said, no. What I was going to say is, I wish I could be a brother like that. Because my brother is an invalid, and I wish I could do for him what your brother did for you. The Bible says we are the garment of kindness and have a good, generous, and giving spirit. But then there's a third garment we come to in God's giant clothing store. And when you put this one on, God wants as little of you to show as possible. And that is the garment of humility. Because if you notice says in verse 12, after kindness, humility. And that word humility means the ability to make a modest view of yourself and your own importance. The ability to take a modest view of yourself and your own importance. Instead, as Philippians 2, three says, you consider other people more important than yourself. So many times, although we don't want to admit it, we're the kind of people that every time our birthday comes around, we congratulate our parents. And we're like the band who got up in the morning, stood in front of a mirror and sang, How great thou art. <laughs> and instead, we are aware of the humility because there are others more important than themselves. You might remember reading in history because it's one of those famous fights. Back when Muhammad Ali was alive, had a fight with Joe Frazier. And before that fight, he made the statement, There is not a man alive who can whip me. I'm too free- pretty. I'm too sweet. I'm the king. I should have been a postage stamp. That's the only way I could be licked. <laughs> now, although we might not carry it the same way he did, at the same time, many times we are guilty of not being humble people. And the Christian life is not an aristocracy, which a few people give over to everybody else. Instead of a family, which we live together and submit ourselves one to another. At one time I ask you to do something, you do it. No time you ask me to do something, I do it. I would do what First Peter calls submit ourselves one to another. And the Bible is saying, if we have that kind of relationship towards one another, then we'll practice the same kind of relationship towards unsaved people. And if you're having struggles in that area, i give you two things that will take it away in two seconds. One is, think of your model Christ. It says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He died one of the most cruelest deaths you could ever die. So we as sinners could become saints. And all he asked us to do is mimic the master and think of your model Christ because he wore the garment of humility. That's what took him to the cross on our behalf. The second thing I'll remove it, is just stop and think of the fact that any one of us could be wiped off the scene right now tonight and the work of Christ would go on positively unhindered. I mean, that is so humbling. Here I am, God's gift to the present generation. If you ever fortunate to have me on His team, that could not be any further from the truth. Because I could be wiped off the scene tonight. God will have a better replacement here by tomorrow morning with no problems at all. That's why all of us need the words a wife one time gave to her husband when he compared himself with all those from Ross Perot to John D. Rockefeller all the past and present grace. And he said to his wife, do you realize how many great businessmen there are in the world today? She looked and she said, no. But there's one lesson you think. <laughs> and The fact of the matter is, there's one lesson we think. That's you and that's me. And that's why I ought to wear the garment of humility and consider other people more important than themselves. Then there's a fourth garment come to in God's giant clothing store. And that is a garment of meekness. Because if you notice it says in verse 12, after humility, meekness. And that word meekness means the ability to be considerate towards others, practicing strength under control. The ability to be considerate of each other, practice strength under control. Now, please, don't understand. Meekness does not mean weakness. Jesus Christ, it was said of him, I am meek and lowly of heart. It does not mean weak. It means you practice strength under control. What's interesting to me about this word meekness, it was first used of a wild horse. It was brought under control with the use of bit and bridle. That's why it means strength under control. And it means the ability to have a considered spirit and hold back things you would otherwise would not hold back. One time, the truck driver walked in the restaurant, and he ordered a big meal. I mean, salad, main dish, dessert, the whole works. Three motorcyclists walked in. The one took the man's salad. The other took the man's main dish. others other took the man's dessert. They walked over to another table, and they ate the guy's meal. Truck driver got up, walked up to the cashier, paid for his meal, and walked out. The three motorcycles walked up to the cashier and they said to him, her, wow, he's not much of a man, is he? She said, no, but then he's not much of a truck driver either. And they said, what do you mean? She said, he just backed over three Hardy Davisons in the parking lot. <laughs> now, we smiled. By the same time, that's what we attempt to do. The opposite of practice, strength under control. And it particularly applies To how you respond to the insults and injuries of others. Because when you spend time with non-Christians, you're going to find in some way they injure you, upset you. And you know why? That's what they're supposed to do. Nowhere in the Bible is an unbeliever told to act like a Christian. The reason they act the way they do, that's the way they're supposed to act. Regeneration has to come before reformation. And before there can be a change on the outside, there's got to be a change on the inside. And for that reason, when you're around them, you have to practice strength under control. And the reason that's important is the more time you spend with non-Christians, the more force you're going to discover in them. And the more faults you discover, the greater there will be the need to be considered and practice strength under control. You know what I would love to see? I've been privileged to be in the ministry for 49 years. You know what I would love to see? I'd love to see one sign that says, nice dog. I've seen dog signs say, bad dog, cross dog, mean dog. And traveling in every state, 60 foreign locations, I've never seen one dog. One sign says, nice dog. You know what? There are two dogs inside of every unsafe person. There's a nice dog and there's a mean dog. And you'll always find the dog you're looking for. And what the Bible is saying is, you all look for the nice dog in people. And when you find that mean dog, be considerate and practice strength under control. Do what a doctor has to do who repairs a broken bone. Be firm, but also be gentle. And be considerate and practice strength under control. But then there's a fifth guard who come to a job, dying, and you in floral. Very similar to the garment of meekness, but just goes a little bit deeper. And that is the garment of long suffering. Because in verse 12 at the end, it says after meekness, long suffering. And that word long suffering means to accept injury without fighting back. To accept injury without fighting back. To accept injury without fighting back. In other words, it means what it says long on the suffering be long on the suffering and the ability to stand up under the ill treatment of others. And the reason, again, that's important is if you develop a relationship with non-Christians, I promise you, in some way, they're going to injure you. It might be emotionally. It could even mean physically. It may be in the parking lot. It may be in the home. It may be in the grocery store. It may be in business. But in some way, they're going to injure you but it's going, ha- going to happen. And that's why God asked yourself the question, how big a thing does it take to make you angry? How big a thing does it take to make you angry? The Bible says, Christ stood up under the ridicule and suffering of others. When he was ridiculed, he did not humiliate. When he was attacked, he did not suffer back. And the same way, we all belong suffering towards others. As First Peter 2.23 says, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. He practiced long suffering. He accepted injury without fighting back. In other words, the garment of long suffering means to have everything the opposite of a short fuse. Instead of having short fuse, you have a long fuse. And you stand up on the injury of others except injury without fighting back. One time was a businessman on a trip in he was mistreated by a member of his business concern. And he was sharing the incident with a friend of his. And the friend said to him, what did you do to that man? Man like that ought to be taught a lesson. The man answered, I didn't do a thing. Because I'm not here to avenge personal wrongs. I'm in business for my employer. Could I ask you, are you on earth to avenge personal wrongs? Or you're in business with your employer. If you're in business with your employer, that means you've got to accept injury without fighting back. You gotta be long suffering, just as Jesus Christ did, and he wants you to mimic the master. But there's another garment that comes in God John Clothing Store, and this is a two piece garment. It goes together the way a blouse goes with a skirt. A shirt goes with a pair of pants. And that is a garment of forbearance and forgiveness. Because if you notice it says verse 13. bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you. So you also must do. And what it means is. To bear with others. And not hold the wrongs against them. Now please notice. I did not say. It means to be a bear with one another. <laughs> it means to bear with one another, and they'll bear mean to bear with others, and they'll hold their wrongs against them. The practice forbearance and forgiveness. You know what I find interesting? It does not say because Christ forgave you. That's not what the text says. It says even as Christ forgave you. That means same way he did to you, same way you do to him. I am so fascinated by Luke 2334 where Christ at the hung on the cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the same forgiveness he gave to you, us, he wants us to practice others. Make his pattern our practice. As someone has said it so well, when Christ takes your sins, he throws them to the sea. And then he puts up a no-fishing sign. And nobody can bring those sins to the surface again. And just as he was forbearing and forgiveness, forgiving, he wants us to be the same towards others. and practice forgiving, prayers and forgiveness. If you knew me as I know me, I promise you, you would not sit there and listen to me right now. Now, before you get up and leave me, I remind you, if I knew you as you know you, I wouldn't talk to you right now. <laughs> But we are forgiven people. And as forgiven people, we are to forbear and forgive others as He forgive us. And sometimes I hear people say, well, I'll forgive Him. But I went to show me there's been a change in life. Then I hear some people say, I'll forgive Him, but I can't forget. Do you know where we would be if Christ was that way towards us? We'd be bursting the gates of hell wide open. But instead he says, I forgive you, period. And we are to forbear and forgive, even if God, for Christ's sake, forgave us. A person one time said, help me to live as people pass. They might not say, what a great Christian she is, but what a great Christ she has. Help me live in such a way, people might say as they pass. Not what a great Christian she is, but what a great Christ she has. And I promise you, when we forgive others, when he's forgiven us, people see the beauty of the Savior. Because they don't find that kind of forgiveness any place, anywhere. Forbear and forgive, even if God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. True story. Years ago, during a Turkish war, was a soldier who followed a brother and sister. brutally murdered the boy. The girl escaped. True story. She got a job in a hospital in that area. And one day they brought her the soldier that killed her brother. One slip of her hand would have meant his death. But she, being a Christian, took care of him. When he come blessed, he recognized her. He said, "Why do you not try to get revenge for the slaying of your brother?" She said, "Because I'm a Christian." He said, love your enemy. Do good to the person who hates you. King of said, I never knew there was such a religion. Tell me about it. I want it. And I promise you that evangelist who have been traveling for 49 years worldwide, if we practice forbearance and forgiveness, as we ought to, there will be people all over the place that says, I never knew there was such a religion. Tell me about it. I want it. Now, those are the six garments in God's finite clothing store. Garment of tender mercy, meaning filled with pity. Garment of kindness, have a good, generous, giving spirit. Garment of humility, of yourself, your own importance. Garment of meekness, be considered towards others. Practice strength under control. Garment of long-suffering, accept injury without fighting back. Garment of forbearance and forgiveness. Bear with one another and forgive them. But no garment, no outfit, is any better and the thing that ties it together. Sometimes it's style, sometimes it's a cutter, but no garments any better thing that ties it together. And so look at verse fourteen. But above all these things, put in love, which is a bond of perfection. What that means is, but above all these things, wear the garment of love that ties all these together. And what the Bible is saying is, When you love the lost, you will wear it. Every one of these six garments, because they all make up what's called love, and therefore, when you love one another, you wear these six garments. And I, for everything I've said in one sentence, I hope by God's grace you never forget the rest of your life. And here it is: love cannot be just words that come from your lips, but a language that comes from your life. Love cannot be just words that come from your lips, but a language that come from your life. Love cannot be just words that come from your lips, but a language that come from your life. Could we say that all together? All together. Love cannot be just words that come from your lips, but a language that come from your life. Again, Love cannot be just words that come from your lips, but a language that come from your life. Now let's make it personal. Let's change the you to my and let's make it personal. Say it with me. Love cannot be just words that come from my lips, but a language that come from my life. Say it again. Love cannot be just words that come from my lips, but a language that come from my life. God gave me two spiritual gifts. The one's evangelism, the other's repetition. Let's say it again. <laughs> love cannot be just words that come from my lips, but a language that comes from my life. Therefore, if you love the lost, don't tell them. Show them. Now I'm going to exit from the store. It hasn't cost us a cent. Who should be standing by the exit of God's giant clothing store than the proprietor himself, Jesus Christ. As we exit from this door, he gives us each one envelope. On it it says, don't open until in the presence of a lost person. Don't open until in the presence of a lost person. So you stick in your purse or your pocket, and the next time you're around a non-Christian, you very discreetly open it. And on the inside there's a 3-by-5 card. All it says is, as I observe you today, could it be said of you as was said of me? Behold, how he loves the lost. Then there's box marked yes, a box marked no. Which one would you have to check? I love again the true story of years ago of a man from Chicago, the man from Kentucky, and he married the girl of his dreams. And he moved back, they went back to his home in Chicago. And for three years, they had a beautiful life together. And then, no fault of the marriage, the wife in the depression suffered severe mental illness and screamed at night. Neighbors became so upset, they asked the guy to move to the suburbs, and he did. Her condition just went from bad to worse. One day a doctor said to her, I'd suggest this. Go back to Kentucky. Walk among the hills and streams, and mountains. Maybe something will happen that will bring her back to normal. So they went back to Kentucky. They watched deer crossing the meadows, the squirrel campering up the trees, looked at the leaves falling off the trees, but nothing happened. So he went back to his home in Chicago As he drove home, just before he got home, she fell into a deep sleep. One of the best sleeps she had had for years. He picked up that wife he loved. He carried her into his house in the bedroom. And something miraculous happened during the night. True story. She woke up. Completely normal. She said to him, I feel like I've been on a long journey. Where have you been? He looked to her. He said, honey, I've been sitting here all this time just waiting for you to come home. That's what Christ is doing. He's just waiting for the lost to come home. Come home to me. But the only way they're going to see their, His love is if they see yours. So if you love the laws, don't tell them. Show them. Love cannot just be words that come from your lips, but a what? Say it with me. Language that comes from your life. Let's pray together. Now, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We begin our You Can Share conference together. Every time I speak, I examine myself before I ask anybody to examine themselves. Because the message God hit me before his you. So could I ask you the same question I've had to ask myself. Is there anyone to whom you're holding against anything? And especially non-Christians, but anyone. Is there anyone to whom you're holding against anything? If so, don't talk to me about it, talk to God about it. Whatever is going to be different, get that right with God right now. Our gracious Father, because you love, you talk directly. You don't, as we say, beat around the bush. You describe love in terms of what it does, not simply what it is. I pray, Lord, that this weekend might not be another weekend. It might be one of the best weekends this church has ever had. Because in some way or another, every one of us have a life change this week. I pray, Lord, in a day that's so opportune for evangelism, lost people are so approachable, you might bring it closer to your heart and in turn closer to theirs. Help us to model love, not just talk about it. And I pray that in some way or another, Every one of us might be different as tonight. And because we're we'll different. you are use us to make a difference in the life of somebody else. In Jesus' name, amen.